0: Good morning. Welcome to the Thrive Subscribe CPSN USA Saturday podcast. My name is Ashley Branham, and I'm joined today with Joe Moose. It's a rare day because we get to record from the same location today. So, Joe, welcome.
1: Hey, great to be here, Ashley. Uh, looking forward to today's uh, today's uh, presentation and, and our guest today. Um, someone we we go we go way back.
0: So today we're exploring the topic of community health workers and how this role has evolved during the time of COVID-19. We know community health workers are our frontline public health workers serving as the intermediary link between health and social services offered in the community and facilitating the access of those services to those who need them most. Here to navigate the opportunity to integrate community health workers into the naturally fitting community pharmacy model is our friend Trip Logan, Owner of l Pharmacy in Charleston, Missouri. Hey, Trip.
1: Hey,
2: Trip. Hey, guys. Can't tell you how excited I am to do this today.
1: So it's good. I I always love to to get to share a forum with Trip. We we go way back and we we've, we've shared the the stage for many presentation for for a, probably over oh, half a dozen or more different pharmacy organizations and I I like um getting to present with Trip because he 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 makes it sound like I don't have an accent. Um, so it's <laughs> it's always my pleasure to, <laughs> to to get to talk with Trip. Other than that, I think Trip is um, one of the uh, sharpest minds in community pharmacy today. So if you guys have not uh, followed Trip or had an opportunity to to see him in any presentation. He is a real-world practicing community pharmacist with, with he and his dad in a couple locations in Missouri, and um, he understands how the dollar flows through uh, the entire healthcare system, which makes him, I think, really valuable and in his insights, really valuable in, in terms of how we can survive as a business, but also how we can find Opportunities in this in this big circle of of money flow going through things. Um, so it, it, it's just he's one of the most insightful people uh, that I know in, in terms of, of the finance and, and how health care works from a financial standpoint. So yeah I, don't,
2: to yeah, I was going to say that uh, you just set that bar real high. You know, I, I appreciate that, and I echo what you said about going back a long way, and I've enjoyed actually presenting with both of you guys traveling across the country and doing the best we can to not only keep our drugstores open, but um, hopefully plant some seeds that will help some other guys out there, too, that we're speaking to and I, I just want to start this off by bringing the expectations way back down you know i'm just a selfish country pharmacist from southeast missouri trying to keep our drug stores open you know i took my first steps in one of my father's drug stores and i've got three kids and i want to make sure they if they want to they've got the same opportunity that i had and so it's uh, self-preservation the only reason we're out hustling like we are and to your point there are um, there there's a lot of struggling going on with community pharmacy practice right now especially around product reimbursement and the direction and um, being able to have access to the patients we want to care for and so um, I'm a firm believer in if you if you look for the positive in everything and and you try to find an opportunity within the the all the the static and the struggle then there's probably something there but you just have to look a little deeper and think outside the box and so that's that's what we've done um, to date. Our, our pharmacies are still open, and we've, we've been able to do some pretty cool things in the last few years. I'd, I'd welcome the opportunity to share anything I can that will help some other guys out there that may be
1: struggling or just need that spark. Yeah, cool. Well, so you've, uh, you have opened my eyes to something that didn't exist several years ago, and I think you were a real pioneer in going out and, and trying to figure out, hey, what is this? Because every time I hear about it, it sounds exactly like what what we're doing in our pharmacy already. Um, and that's the the community health worker. Um, some states have recognized uh, roles as, as folks that are designated and uh, credentialed as community health worker and and there are a few states out there that don't have um, a credentialing program in place yet. Uh, but tell us. Kind of walk us through your whole community health worker journey. What, how did you, how did you stumble across it? What did you do to to get involved with it? And and you know, what do other pharmacy owners need to know about how to how to see if something like this exists in in their state?
2: Yeah, that's a uh, just like everything else that's that's gone on in in my career. We we just kind of stumble into opportunities based on recognition of a gap, and, and usually that gap's local. Um, I've for the last I don't know ten or twelve years I've served um, locally on our local county public health department's board of directors, and um, I, I was also serving on the board of a um, local. Um, uh, community service organization that had like um, domestic violence shelters and, and youth programs and, and so on. And I kept seeing over um, a few years these, uh, and, and mind you, I, I live in the, just north of Memphis, Tennessee, in the Mississippi River Delta, a lot of catfish, fried chicken, mm-hmm. sweet tea, um, diabetes, hypertension, smoking. It's it's a pretty um, yeah, me low
1: me <laughs> yeah,
2: right. Well, you know, it's uh, it, it's definitely got its perks as well, as far as that goes. But from a health outcome standpoint, it's it, it's really troubled. And so there are these things called needs assessment meetings that go on in in a lot of areas, and especially in uh, underserved areas. And so we'd have the governor's office come down, and we'd have the uh, the uh, local public health agencies, Department of Health and Senior Services. We'd have a, a lot of entities, and then all the local service providers. And being a, a, a local pharmacist and serving in the capacity on, on um, uh, these other two boards, I would attend a lot of these meetings. And it was r- real funny. Um, several years ago, I was in one of these meetings and we heard CDC had some grants through the state of Missouri that that trained community health workers locally. And we, I'd never heard of what a community health worker was. but. Um, they started describing what the role was, and it was a local advocate, a peer, somebody with peer-to-peer relationships locally, somebody embedded in the community that can help people navigate not only the healthcare system, but social services and fit their needs. And to me, it just sounded a lot like what, to your point, Joe, what was going on in our pharmacies and pharmacies like ours across the region. And so there was this grant to to send these folks through a 12-week course at a local university, but the, the issue was who was going to hire them? You know, who found value in having a community health worker on their on their staff? And so they were federally qualified health centers and um, some faith organizations that were were taking on these community health workers. But sustainably um, keeping those people employed and then making sure that they were easily accessible just wasn't working. And then and then fast forward. I had been exposed to that a couple times. Maybe I had a year uh, needs assessment community health worker under my belt, and I was sitting in uh, right across the street from one of your drugstores there in in North Carolina at the annual CPFN meeting, and there was a presentation from community health workers, and it's like, why, why are we not just cross training our staff as community health workers? For a, um, it would you know, bolster the the skill set of our staff. And B, it's something that we are always looking for something to market as a as a differentiator among others and, and we knew that our staff was already doing this anyway. And so we said, let's let's go hustle and see what it would take to get this done. And so I'm sitting in that meeting and I'm in North Carolina and I'm I'm texting some people that I know at the state to see if there's any way to get any of our staff into some community health worker training. And so um while I was sitting in that meeting I, I got a uh, hold of the the people at the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services who had access to some CDC money. And we got essentially a scholarship for one of our, actually, yeah, one at that point, one of our staff members to go through the training. So we did. And that's when everything really changed. And we, we learned real quickly that even though this this person who has done community health work as a pharmacy technician in Charleston, Missouri, for years and years, embedded in our community, helping people solve problems, as soon as she got the title of certified pharmacy technician and community health worker, everybody else's perception of what we were doing changed. So the um, Department of Health, from state and local, um, all of them looked at us differently. FQHCs looked at us differently. Um, opportunities started opening up to partner with these other agencies and to to um, utilize not only our technician resources which I'm kind of air quoting now because really I mean these are these are just our this our staff that happens to be trained up a little bit in social determinants of health and and locally driven services they're experts in the area more or less and they're easily accessible uh, we just underestimated the value that this title of community health worker had just for our existing staff. So we've got several community health workers on staff now. We've actually got four more being cross-trained currently. Um, we think it's real valuable. But what it's done more so is it's it's changed the whole perception of our whole staff when they're talking to patients and local service providers because we're we're all of a sudden looking at the patient holistically and not at just their drug profile and. Um, you know, we're all looking at somebody's drug profile and making assumptions about their care or what they're doing or their adherence or, you know, whatever. Um, it's it's changed the entire dynamic, which in turn has brought additional opportunities for us to to work with local partners. And I, I just want to, before we, we go further, I, I want to say um, – We've spent a lot of time on this locally. Um, we've actually been able to do this without investing a whole lot of time and money. And I get into however you all you all want to talk through that. But the value is that that we've determined, and we're working to to try to standardize some of this stuff nationally because there are nuances state to state. We found value in having the title community health worker, somebody with that on staff we definitely found value. But the true inherent value is somebody that's just engaged and connected with the local service entities and focused on social determinants of health and holistic patient care. So it's not necessarily the community health worker, because all our staff could be community health workers. Just some of them have the credentials and are a little trained up more than others. But I don't want anybody to be discouraged by... Um, the title of or the coursework required for community health work, there, there are really ways to, to engage around social determinants of health locally and, and embed yourself within other local service providers, clinical and non-clinical, without having a community health worker on, actually on staff.
0: I think it it really drives home the point of um, stepping outside of our head down realm of community pharmacy. We all know what a pharmacy technician does. We all know what our um, delivery driver is involved with day to day and how they they observe social determinants of health. And then when you begin to re you know you title that role and that individual serving in that capacity to a a more a recognized term. Um, with some training, of course, um, to those outside of the community pharmacy world, you know, at, it's like the light bulb goes off how we all can connect and work together. So I, I think that's a really neat example of just kind of coming together as a community. Maybe we we change up our roles, we we change a little bit about what we do, but it's not that much of an investment to to really create this model where we know how to communicate with each other and others in the community by just a simple title change.
1: Yeah, you know, I think we, for so long, our metric of success was how many prescriptions do we fill in a day's time? And then when it got to be tough to to make money and you started losing money on some prescriptions here and there and you were sort of underwater and DR came and all that, then our metric was how many prescriptions can we fill in a day and what is our, our gross profit per prescription? Um, it, you know, and if we, I think if we, we do like you're talking and we back up and we, we really say our metric is, you know, how many patients did we keep out of the hospital or how many hemoglobin A1Cs did we get below nine or, or how many patients did we get adherent to the correct regimen? Then the the other metrics will probably follow in suit, or at least that that's the hope. Or the hope is that we we open up a new pot, you know, of money to get to get paid a different way. Have you seen uh, this bringing any new opportunities to your pharmacy? Um, either new payment models, like you spoke of, of a grant there uh, to train them. Have you seen it bring any? Any new payment models, or have you seen it bring you any any new business because of doing these type of activities?
2: Absolutely, just um, game changer is really all I can say. And and I'll give you a little little background. We spent years pre CPSN trying to aggregate pharmacies around um, partners locally to collectively. Um, not only improve outcomes, save money, but but make money together with partners. And the aggregation part was really tough prior to CPSN, which is why I'm such a, you know, I, I'm, I'm saying that's the best money that we spend every month are our CPSN dues. And it, it's allowed us to really get light years ahead of where we could have ever been ourselves. But through this process, the reason we were out hustling, trying to find ways to, to aggregate before, is we realized early on that, um you know, the the way for us to make additional revenue was to partner with others outside of just pharmacy because even if our metrics are keeping people out of the hospital, well, we can't measure that ourselves. you know how do you attribute that improvement in care to keep somebody out of the hospital to the pharmacy well you you, you just can't, and there are you know i've I've done some work at the pharmacy quality alliance around um, uh, uh, quality metrics in the past and Attribution's tough anyway, but then when you're really trying to look at the pharmacist the pharmacy engagement and what that how that results in something that's um, quantifiable and reimbursable it, it's really tough, and so we need partners out there so our our strategy was. And I, you know, I I hesitate to get too far down like what we're currently doing because it is a journey and you're never going to get anywhere and take, until you take that first step and just start moving. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll back up and I'll tell you our strategy or just to uh, finish up the the evolution story from where we began. So when we when we um, contacted the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services and, and our state association about helping us figure out how to get these community health workers going and and seeing what that looked like we our strategy was let's get a grant to help us pay for figuring this out because anybody that's listening to this and owns and operates a community pharmacy right now times are tough cash flow is tough there's not a lot of time or revenue additional um to to what you need for operating uh, you know your operation expenses and operating every day there's not a lot of money there to to go out and invest in a lot of things like this, or at least we didn't have it. So we were looking for grants to figure this out. And we, we went out hustling and and landed one. And it was a sizable grant that allowed us to really dig deep in what uh, a, um, a social of health expert, in this case, a community health worker embedded in a pharmacy can actually do. And we had to change it a few times and, and, you know, bless the, the CDC folks and the, uh, Missouri De- Department of Health and Senior Services and Missouri Pharmacy Association because they allowed us to pivot a couple times on this because we found out some crazy stuff. And I know I'm not answering your question about money, but I, I'm going to get there. And, and I think this speaks to the value. So we started this. And when, when we started, the only way we could get a grant for this was to go through the CDC's, I think it was 1815 program that, which was um, getting people into Diabetes self-management education, focusing on cardiovascular disease, diabetes, uh, diabetes prevention. And so that's our goal was to use our delivery drivers to capture patients, capture people that usually weren't included in, in not only grants like these, but really weren't terribly engaged in the healthcare system that would benefit from these, you know, cardiovascular disease, diabetes de- uh, delivered services, right? So we're, we're hustling trying to get that done. And about three weeks, maybe it might, I don't even think it was a month into this grant, we, we hit the brakes real hard. What we were finding was that our our outreach was resulting in um, uh, finding people that maybe we thought, well, we need to get you in a, you You've got a diabetes diagnosis. Well, this person didn't have transportation and they couldn't afford their insulin. So the last thing we need to do is enroll them in a diabetes self-management class because they, you know, they they can't get to their endocrinologist, much less primary care, and they also are struggling to afford the insulin, which means they're rationing that. Uh, we had a lot of problems to solve. You know, we had several with housing issues. Well, if you don't have a fully functioning refrigerator, how are we going to get diabetes classes? are step seventeen, we're sitting here at like step two. So we called we we called a meeting and we said, look. We we have discovered that step seventeen is diabetes self management education. Step ten is diabetes prevention. We're we're what we're highlighting here and what we're capturing is probably step one or two. Like we got to keep these people alive, get them stable, make sure that this is sustainable, their care is sustainable, and then get them into some some self management. And so they let us do it. They let us they let us pivot. So we did that for a while, and then our, our in the middle of this, we thought, you know, this, there is a a, quite a value on what we're, what we're discovering here, because there are a lot of entities like, you know, Medicaid plans, Medicaid program, there's a lot of money spent on care management out there. And we're, this is exactly what we're, we're able to do is um, target these, you know, unreachable patients or the the really hard to reach patients. And these are the ones that are costing all the money or should be in the system and currently aren't. So um, we, we decided now let's, Let's um, go out and see if we can secure funding to expand this to other areas, other pharmacies, other counties. Because we know us doing this in our little rural areas where our pharmacies are, we don't have enough coverage to to, to get the payment opportunities that we really want. And so we went out and secured some some other other grants to do that. Now we've got some payer programs that pay us to... To uh, um, even like an immunization, like right now, we, we've we got the ability to screen for immunizations. Um, we can deliver the immunizations and get public health gets credit for the immunizations that are, are given because we're doing it in partnership with local public health. Or we refer to public health for vac- for immunizations or vaccinations that, that we don't do. And we get a bonus for the people that go in and, and actually deliver and get it. And it's all because of this, the, the ability to engage and follow up.
1: Yeah, um, that's a great I, you know, example of of us yeah. working together and working in concert is, um, and how the money would would flow around to to you. You're bringing value to to public health, and and they're recognizing that. So uh, I, my hats off to you for for being able to get them to recognize that enough to see that there is a value to to it. But our
2: and our strategy is and. and um, you'll probably get the impression, those of you listening that don't know me, I'm always trying to, you know, if, if we were just looking at today, we, we'd be out of business. And so in the current pharmacy landscape, we're, we're having to look months to years in, in advance, and we business plan everything that we do. But the strategy was, yeah, we can do this, but it should be a lot better if if all pharmacies in our region were doing the same thing. And so we're, we, um, we spent a lot of time trying to find funding for that. And so we've We've taken things like uh, Flip the Pharmacy application to, to help support this and really centered around continuing these services and expanding into 11 other counties other than ours. Um, we've, uh, we've gone out to uh, uh, other uh, larger public health entities to highlight what we've been able to do. And we've secured um, partnership payer programs with these other public health entities to do essentially the same, find out what metrics are important to them and use our outreach and our follow-up abilities to not only screen and assess and refer, but even deliver some of the services like uh, self-monitoring blood pressure is one of them that we're doing in partnership with public health that we're, we're getting paid pretty pretty well for.
1: That's cool.
0: So Trip, as we kind of look into... The established program that you're at now, and and kind of the times of where we're at right now. It, it's a unprecedented time where um, resources may be limited or um, needs have changed dramatically. How are how are the community health workers um, functioning in the community now, and 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 what kind of successes are you seeing with that role?
2: That's a that's a, this is a a good question because this is what's occupied most of my time in the last six months during the the pandemic, and you know it's really easy to look at, um, at some of the things that we were doing. Like for, I'll give you an example: we were working with public health, and we had just launched a program. They had a really amazing program through a lot of the county health departments. And it, it was a, a breast and cervical cancer screening program, and so we got a contract to screen people that met the, met the the inclusion criteria for this grant, and then they would we would refer them to the county health departments, and the county health departments would do the cer- cervical and uh, breast cancer screenings, and if the for free, and if the the person qualified for the free screening, and they God forbid were were um, found to have uh, a cancer, then cancer was covered throughout the, you know, the the treatment and therapy were covered by this grant for the, for that patient going through the system th- to the end. Uh, so, you know, I, what a great program. Well, we, we launched it right about the time that um, that uh, everything shut down and the health departments and doing, doing screenings, they were shutting their doors a little bit and being a little more diligent. So this program kind of fell apart. And so it's easy to look at that from like my perspective and say, Ah, man, that's just a shame because, you know, we had a, a, a contract and we had this opportunity and it was good for the community, good for our pharmacies, good for public health. But then you start looking at everybody else around you. We had delivery drivers that were going way out of the community. that were already used to, to doing assessments. Um, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, we were kind of getting down on, wow, how are we going to pivot here? And our um, our local director of our senior center who's got the Meals on Wheels contract called me. And this was early on in the pandemic. She said, hey, I need some help. She said, I don't have – she said, I deliver meals all over the county. And, and we run into our, – our delivery drivers run into the, the, the Meals on Wheels drivers all the time. She said, I don't know what I'm going to do. Most of my – I don't have a, a, a forehead thermometer. Most of my drivers are volunteers, and they're all in the high-risk categories. What, what are we going to do? And this phone call is when I realized, like, we're well-positioned here. You know, we really are well-positioned to help. So we worked out a deal with her and actually with a local um, grocery store to where if, you know, if any of the staff and drivers for any of the organizations, we were going to lean on each other, too. So, we, you know, we, we didn't end up having to, but we might have um, been delivering meals on wheels with our prescription deliveries. So it told me that we're, we're um, very well positioned for this kind of thing, and so what we did was we went out and started hustling trying to find ways that we could meet the needs of those in the community that that had funds allocated to certain services, but could leverage our access and our follow-up abilities. So, you know I mean we' we've got I hate to call it a call center, but we've got local staff that are contacting local patients pretty much nonstop from from an office doing follow-up work. And so most others didn't have that. And so we've had the ability to, like for example, um, we we've, we've been working on a, a, a um, an asthma program to help the one of the local school districts prepare for um, uh, COVID uh, preventative, um, really um, keeping the kids safe. But you know, this school district had a high concentration, like I think like twenty percent of the kids in the district had asthma, had a diagnosis of asthma at a certain time. So um, we we got funding to work with them to help them build out their program and do education for not only the caregivers but the community. Knowing that some of this was going to be virtual, um, it, what what I'm and I'll I'll pause and take a breath after I, I leave it here. I have never in my life in my career had so many opportunities where we've been directly targeted by entities that have funding but can't deliver on just simple coordination, referral, screening, follow-up, these things. Since And our community health worker having a staff member that was designated as a community health worker, even though it's mostly – it's all of our staff that's doing this. It's not just community health workers. But it just changed the way everybody saw us, and we just have opportunity after opportunity. Actually, we turn them away every once in a while if we feel like – you know, the, the funding isn't there, but it's just amazing that people are
1: actually reaching out to us with funding to, to utilize our resources. So, Tripp, um, a ton of information. I'm taking a ton of good notes here. Um, tell me real quick, and, and we're, we're out of time, but I'm just, uh, I'm taking all this in. So tell me real quick, if I'm a, a CPSN pharmacy in North Carolina and I don't have any trained up as a community health worker, and I don't even know if they have that designation in my state, and when you say public health, I don't even know exactly what department or what entity are you talking about. Where do I start? Yep,
2: easiest thing. So there's a couple, there's a couple things. Um, NCPA has some resources where you can go, and there's some webinars that we actually did and contributed to where you can you can learn as much as you want before you make one of, the, make one of these moves that I'm getting ready to suggest. So I, I definitely recommend um, checking those out. Uh, two things that, that I would do first, and I've had this conversation with hundreds of people. One is just Google your state department of health and community health workers, and you'll see really what where your stance is. I, I don't. I, I think we've done this in multiple states, and everybody's been able to figure out exactly where their state is with community health workers. So that's what I would do. And two, I would uh, make sure that you uh, know where your local county public health department is and engage them at some point to let them know that you're available and a lot of these screen assess, refer and follow up services are very easy to facilitate through your location, regardless of having a community health worker on staff. If anybody's hurting right now, it's local public health. They need help. And so this is a great time to learn what your state requires, what they offer,
1: and then engage the local public health. Cool, cool. Well, that's um, that's great information uh, out there, and it's doing what what we do as community pharmacies. That's taking care of the folks in our communities, um, and it means more than just filling that prescription fast, accurately, and cheap, as you've heard me say a million times. It, it's it's looking at the patient um, and a, as a whole, and getting them the best uh, quality care, which means. Uh, Prescriptions in a bottle sometimes, but it means food is medicine sometimes. It means transportation and and all the things that you talked about today. So, Trip, um, thank you very much for, for your time and, and all your insights.
0: Absolutely, you're a wealth of no- knowledge on this topic and extremely passionate about it. Your passion just kind of um, it it just spills over with with how much. Um, Um, opportunity that this has brought you and and how much you care about it. And we really appreciate you sharing with all the listeners on today's podcast as well, because I, I really hope it helps to, um, create change, um, in their practices and, and at least, um, start the pathway of getting community health workers if it's right for their communities embedded into um, and their community pharmacies. So we appreciate your time. We know you are a busy man and you've got a lot going on. And so um, thanks for taking your time out today. You've got a community
1: to take care of.
2: (laughs) Uh, Hey guys, I appreciate this. Not only I'm humbled to be asked to be on this, but um, enjoy working with you guys not only in the past, but um, right now and and looking forward to the continued work for the years to come. So appreciate everything you guys are doing.
0: Thank you. We look forward to seeing you again live soon.
2: Yeah, we only hope.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, thanks for attending today's um, Saturday CPSN USA podcast. We look forward to um, joining you next week um, when we visit another new community pharmacy topic.
1: The CPESN podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Production assistance is given by Mike Deniger and Suzanne Feeney. For more information, visit us online at cpesn.com and tptransformations.com.